0: Well, friends and family, how y'all doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they needed a woman's touch. Uh, hey, if you have Bibles, go ahead and open or swipe open to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at about 13 verses there. And as I mentioned earlier, we're in a, a five-week message series uh, on the topics I've always wondered. Uh, and this week we're dealing with a, a topic of guilt and shame. In particular, how do I process through my guilt and shame? Uh, in a healthy way, in a God-centered kind of way. And when we were thinking about this topic and we were looking at our staff team, we just said, who would be maybe someone who has a passion for this or this is part of their story? And I just, as we prayed about it and thought about it, it just, it kept coming back to Britt. Uh, and if you've never heard her story, she's going to share a little bit about uh, that tonight. And she's uh, not only been through just kind of a, a, a lot, uh, is that a fair way to say it's a little bit. <laughs> uh, but she's come through it um, in a just tremendous way. And again, her mess has become this really impactful yes. ministry. If you don't know Britt, uh, Britt and her husband, Mike, where's Mike? Where's Mike Nelson? There he is, right there. Oh, he got center huh. stage. Oh, look at this. Husband of the year. Uh, so attractive. <laughs> so Britt and Mike lead our young professional couples ministry. Britt and Mike actually started our Disney ministry about four years ago. <laughs> Yeah, we have some Disney I folks wonder where here. the
0: Disney people are. I know, Right.
1: Uh, and then uh, after they got married, we went from having no couples to having like 40 couples. And we were like, man, we need a, a couple's mystery. So she and Mike lead that. Um, but Britt, uh, along with Alec, were my first interns when I got here. Uh, and then they became directors. And now they've kind of you know been promoted a couple Alec more times. Alec and I were
0: actually at the job interview to hire Doug. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. And so I
0: remember every moment.
1: The Mall of Millennia. The Mall magical. of Millennia. That's right. You got
0: Chick-fil-A. That's right. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was not closed on Sunday. Anyway, so, um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. And what we're going to try to balance here is um, talking through some pretty um, significant issues, but to do so with a lot of grace and yep. a lot of truth. And I will, from time to time, crack jokes, not because I'm trying to be... Um, mean, but no. because when things get a little t- intense, I kind of, I, I start telling jokes to like break the tension. So if I, if it seems like it's just too tense in the room, I might say something funny. You don't have to laugh. You can pity me if you want to. That's okay too. The I'm problem just here to, is to that Doug levity. and I
0: both do this. Yeah. So this is, so we'll talk about something extremely serious. That's not a joke. And then all of a sudden we're both like cracking the most inappropriate jokes in meetings. or so we're both like, ha ah! ha <laughs> and everyone's yeah. like, these people are crazy. Yeah, so just, that's, yeah.
1: just be prepared for all of it. So yes. that that's a lot set up. I think we've established your bona fides. Can you maybe uh, kick us off? Just help us know a little bit of your story and really how that relates to the issue of guilt and shame.
0: Yeah, so um, if you do not know, I come from a very broken um, story background. Sometimes I, feel, I was talking to somebody today. Sometimes I feel like it was a movie, and I don't really know still if it existed. Um, it feels kind of unreal, but... From the beginning. So when I was two, my parents get a divorce. And my dad, they got married when they were 18. And my dad comes back from war. And he starts doing drugs, has severe PTSD. My mom starts walking in on him, cheating on my mom with other women. Um, And so they get a divorce. And my mom moves with me from Decatur, Alabama to Cincinnati, Ohio, specifically Hamilton, Ohio, which this will set up Hamilton, It is the heroin capital of the world. Um, If you walk into a hospital in Hamilton, Ohio, they said that 98% of the patients that come through the ER are dying of overdose on heroin. Um, It is an extreme pandemic there. And so this was not a good city for me to grow up in. It was was what you would call the ghetto. Um, And I grew up in the midst of it. And um, my mom and my grandparents raised me. And throughout this process, um, there are guys, I, I remember my mom just dating all these guys and them coming in and out, and um, not bad guys, just just inconsistent. Um, and then when I'm six, my mom meets a guy um, named Mike who is now my stepdad, which is funny because my husband's name is Mike. And um, she meets this guy named Mike, and he is a severe, we know very quickly that he is a severe alcoholic. Um, And not, not a physically abusive alcoholic, but an angry alcoholic. Someone that as soon as they take a sip of alcohol, You're flipping glass tables and throwing things. And um, we noticed this very early on. And so about the age of six or seven, my mom decides that she wants to move in with this man. And my grandparents, being the amazing, wonderful people that they are, say, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Um, We see that he's an alcoholic. So you have two options here. Either you can move in with him and um, Britt stays with us. Or you don't move in, no one moves in with him, and you're staying with us. But regardless, Britt is staying in this household, and she will not be living with this man. Um, yeah, I heard some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my grandma's an awesome woman. Sharp lady. Um, and so she, I, I, and my mom decides to live with the man and leave me with my grandparents. And so you see this consistent theme before the age of eight of abandonment. Of the two people that should have been in my life were not in my life before the age of eight. Yeah. Um, and so, my, and all this while I, I'm growing up in a very, very, very non-Christian household, not atheist, but agnostic. I think they, they knew that something was there, but didn't really want to follow yeah. whatever was there. Um, never stepped foot in a church. There was no mention of Jesus. I didn't know Bibles existed. Like I was the definition of unchurched in America. It was as if I was living in Africa in an, in an unchurched community or tribe there. Um, and so, yeah, growing up in a non-Christian household. Well, fast forward, my grandparents are raising me. We're living on food stamps um, in a not great neighborhood. I have an issue now with safety, and this is because when I was young, I mean, I remember like hiding in our bathtub because men were breaking into our home multiple times. Um, and so that's just a, that was just the theme of my childhood was was not being safe, not being consistent. Um, And so fast forward in all of that, my grandparents are awesome, but they're also crazy in the best way. (laughs) My grandma, if this sets it up. My grandma, no joke. Y'all aren't even going to believe this. My grandma's a psychic.
1: So like, hold on, wait, like 1-800-CALL-PSYCHIC? No, like. like
0: Like, um, oh my gosh, Mike needs to help me with this. But she will, she'll, um, she was, she read palms and she, but she did this not as a job. This wasn't like people came to her house and she read palms. This was like, she was internally psychic (laughs) and would just say things to me. Like she had this psychic voice. And for instance, my mom brings home a guy and um, I remember being like five and my mom's saying to this boyfriend, hey, my mom, my grandma, can read palms. He's like, okay. And so she's like, go ahead, read, read his palm. And she's like, hmm, you should watch out for trains. And I'm like, at five, and I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> and then, no joke, two days later, this guy, his truck almost gets run over over a train track by a train. Like his truck gets stuck on a train track, and he has to go out. And I'm like, from a very early age, I'm like, okay, there's some witchcraft, weird stuff going on here.
1: Yeah, we're not going to talk trains. about the theology of psychics tonight. No, you uh, are not talking about that in a later sermon. But
0: this is the kind of dysfunction and weird stuff that I grew <laughs> up with, like the psychic in the middle of the ghetto with food stamps and no parents, and it was just crazy. Um, Safe to
1: say, it was a colorful childhood. Super colorful. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, super colorful. So um, knowing that, I get to high school, and um, I'm 15, and I'm involved in every club that I can get myself in. I was on the track to be a professional dancer from the age of 5 to, I mean, 16. All I did was dance. I was at dance every night, and it really was to get myself away from it. Um, I was involved in show choir in high school, super heavily involved in that. I mean, anything, literally anything you can think of, cheerleader, anything you can think of, I was in. And um, about 15, the most popular guy in our high school, which there were a lot of good-looking guys, okay? This is a terrible high school. But the most popular guy in my high school, every girl wanted to be with him. He, like, um, modeled for Abercrombie. Um, and I'm not that is a joking dated this. Yes. D- hold on, wait. Does reference. anyone
1: in here know, remember what Abercrombie & Fitch was when it was a porn magazine? Do y'all remember that?
0: That happened.
1: Okay, no? Okay. You, see, how does it feel to be too old for some of the crowd right there? It's, there you
0: go. Yeah. So.
1: There's um, the Hollister before Hollister. Is that better? Is there something newer now? No?
0: I don't think there's anything right now that compares to Abercrombie okay, & Hollister. Okay, Okay. It was its own thing. So he's modeling for Abercrombie and all these girls want to be with him and never dated anyone in our high school. But one day this guy comes up to me and wants to date me and me being the stupid 15 year old that I was, I was like, sure, all these girls want to date you. And I would, you know, you're choosing me. Like, how can I say no to this? You know, and keep in mind at this point, I'm not a Christian. I don't know better. I really didn't. And. I, I saw my mom doing this, and so I was like, well, I guess I have to date guys and know what I like, you know. Um, and so this relationship very quickly turns into a sexual assault relationship. Um, around the age of 15, I, he was 17, I was a sophomore, he was a senior, and it was this relationship of if you don't do this with me, then I'm going to tell everyone these things about you. And when you're in that, if you've ever been in that, you don't know how to get out. There's, there's no one, there's not, I mean, I think it's really easy for us to look at that and say, oh, well, they can just leave. But the the problem isn't physically leaving, it's mentally. It's mentally and emotionally leaving that situation and not having parents and not knowing anything and having 75 year old people raise me that were weirdos um, in the best way possible. I had no idea what was going on and I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, And so this leads to lots of sexual assault and then lots of partying. Like, I'm, of course, at 15, hanging out with his friends, and we are, I'm, I'm talking partying to the point of black. I remember waking up on my friend's lawn at 15 years old and being blacked out. Can't remember anything. Don't remember what I did. Someone could have very well taken advantage of me. I would have, I still don't know. I have no idea. Um, just... Hardcore partying at 15, and now I look at 15 year olds and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me, you know. And, and it seems so young now that I'm older, but then I thought I knew everything. Right.
1: So just clarify, drugs,
0: um, weed.
1: Okay, that's a drug. It is. Okay. <laughs> some of you are like, well, um... <laughs> some, some
0: people are like it for medical use. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do we have people with? Never mind. We won't talk about that. This is guilt shame. You guys are safe. Okay. Uh. So drugs, alcohol.
0: Oh, lots of alcohol.
1: Uh, liquor, beer, wine. Liquor,
0: hard liquor, <laughs> wine. Could you imagine me 15? I just didn't miles? know if you had like a wine <laughs> Drinking pairing. A glass of red wine. No. Uh, doing shots, the whole nine yards. At 15? 15. 15. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. blackout drunk on lawns.
1: Okay, great. Grandparents aware of any of this?
0: Um, I don't. I, no, I. it was this relationship. I, I had so much anger. I'm very, <laughs> For those who don't know me, I'm, a, I'm an internally very angry person, okay? I get angry at everything. Um, if, uh, you know, a restaurant doesn't have the flavor I want of ice cream, I'm like, ah! Like, I just get so angry. And I think I had all this built-up rage of um, my childhood and, um... I, my grandma and grandpa would try—not really my grandpa, but my grandma would try to love me—and they would say, "Hey, I don't think you should do that." And the relationship with me and my grandparents was, "No, I'm going to do that," and I would just walk out. There was—it was very dysfunctional. I did whatever I wanted to do, and they couldn't really stop me from doing that.
1: Right. So, I was the
0: typical Dr. Phil contestant kid.
1: Oh, you're—are you? How close are you to cash me outside? How about that, girl?
0: I was pretty close. You're close. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was in fights in junior high. I could tell y'all stories all day. I was in fights in junior high, Pull the girl's weave out.
1: Okay. Are we, are, we, are we getting the picture of Brit, 15-year-old Brit here? Okay. So just to recap, you've got dysfunction in the home. You've got abandonment issues. You've yep. got sexual assault as yep. part of your story. And by the way, thank you for just yeah. being brave enough to share that with us. Yeah. Um, what else is going on?
0: Man, there, there are a lot of things. I would say that's the three main things. Yeah. Um,
1: he- he- um, health issues?
0: Yes. Lots of health issues. So at 16, um, for those who don't know, I get diagnosed with a thing called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. A lot of you may not know that, but it is a connective tissue disorder. And so back story, I told you guys my dad went to war. And um, when he was in war, he was a paratrooper in the Army, and he his troop was exposed to extremely high doses of plutonium. Um, And they were unaware of this until, oh my gosh, I was 10, 12, Uh, I think he had no idea that this was going on. But when he comes back from where he's experiencing severe health issues, my mom's experiencing severe health issues, and in turn, my body was mutated because of the plutonium exposure of my father. And so um, we don't find this out until I'm a sophomore in high school and I'm going to dance, but I have to come home early every single night and take ice baths because I'm, my body's in so much pain. Um, and so I go to a doctor and they tell me, and this is a whole nother sermon, but they, they tell me, hey, you're going gonna to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 18. And 18 comes, and Brit's not in a wheelchair. Hey, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 21. Oh, 21 comes, you're not in a wheelchair. Hey, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 25. And that was when I started laughing because it's never happened. Um, and so that happens very quickly. I get diagnosed with narcolepsy. <laughs> yes, I'm narcolepsy. Okay, so give
1: us the... <laughs> So I remember Britt first told me this. She's like, I have narcolepsy. And I was like, so you just fall asleep all the time? And she's no. like, no. So there's different kinds of narcolepsy.
0: Yeah. So um, basically my kind is that I don't have a sleep cycle And so I fall asleep in deep sleep. I wake up in deep sleep. There's no, I don't have cataplexy, which is where you randomly fall asleep, which is what you see in movies, which is why narcolepsy is typically funny. (laughs) I laugh at the fact that I have narcolepsy. But, the um, yeah, I wake up in a deep sleep. And so it's almost as though, um, you know, when you take a nap. And you wake up in the midst of a deep sleep and you're so groggy, you feel like your brain can't function and it takes hours for you to realize what's going on. That's how I feel every morning when I wake up, Um, just a consistent deep sleep. So there's that. There's endometriosis. I get, and all of this, and I have about five or six different disorders, and all of this goes back to my dad being exposed to this plutonium and mutating me in turn.
1: And so what's the? So you've, I mean, again, you've got you've got sexual assault. You've got abandonment issues from parents. You've got your dad's a famous drug dealer. Um, yes. Your grandma's a psychic, and now this. What does this feel like as you're 15, 16, 17, 18, or even up through today?
0: Oh, it feels like I am. It feel, It honestly felt like that, and I didn't know there was a God, but whatever God there was, I thought he was playing a joke on me, honestly. I was like, there is no way that someone... 16 and under could experience all this. And then on top of all of this, my stepbrother, who I grew up with, um, gets shot and gets killed at 16. And so it, this it there's this level of feeling like that this is a joke, um, that someone is laughing at me because there is no, all my friends are struggling with, like they're crying about a boy not liking them. And I'm over here struggling with five different health disorders and you know, my dad abandoning me, and all these huge issues, and it felt like no other of my friends had experienced the gravity of what I had experienced before the age of sixteen. Sixteen comes, I get saved, um, and it was a radical transformation. But I, I don't. I think people, when they tell their story, they they kind of stop. And when they get saved, I don't want to stop there. I want to tell you that after I got saved. Um, there was still a lot of, of sin that went on. And me not having a father, boys, and sex was a huge issue for me. And that was, that was before I got saved, but that was also after I got saved. And I don't, and I don't want to stop at that story. I, I want you to know that you're not the only one if you have struggled with that. And that was a huge source of guilt and shame for me. Was I, At that point, I felt convicted, and I knew better, and I did it anyway. And that's where a lot of the guilt, guilt and shame came in.
1: Okay, so you, safe to say, processed through a lot of guilt and shame yeah. after you became a Christian. Yep. And there's been an intentional process of you having to walk through some things, and that's what you're going to talk about here today.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think after all of this, thinking through my story, um, there, was a, there was this moment at 16, 17 years old, where right after I get saved, I, I feel called to do ministry. It was, pretty, it was pretty quick. It was about four months after I get saved. And I, there was nothing in my life that I had been more sure of than I was called to do vocational ministry. I mean, I, it was immediate. And I. Um, funny enough, I get saved in a very legalistic, KJV-only church.
1: KJV-only, <laughs> King James Version. If you're not reading the King James yes. Version of the Bible, you're going to hell. And, right. You're doing it wrong and all that stuff. This is
0: and it was it was such a blessing to me, and it's what I needed at the time. But imagine (laughs) being in a conservative, men only do anything church, and this girl, this little girl, five foot tall, you know, 98-pound girl, comes up and she's like, I'm gonna preach, you know, and people are like, What is going on? You know, and everyone's telling me, Oh, you're not qualified to do that you know you don't you can't do that you're a woman like you're gonna be a wife and have kids you know and so very quickly even after I get saved there's this feeling internally of I am not qualified I am not worthy I am not equipped I am and I the list can I am dirty I am I'm not clean I am and it was all these things and Through this process of counseling, and which we'll get to this later, professional counseling, I come to this realization that the things that I had been experiencing, the names of them were guilt and shame. Um, And no one had ever told me that it was guilt and shame before. It was, oh, that person said that to you, that makes sense, how you could feel like you're not worthy. But what it really, really was deep down was this intense, intense, constant feeling of guilt and shame.
1: Yeah. And so I hope what you guys are hearing today and maybe some of you resonate with this, is that, you know, there are these things in life that happen to us, and there are these things in life that we participate in, and the, the residual outcome of that is guilt and shame. And we sometimes don't have words for talking about what that is, um, but we feel it, and we know something's yeah. off, because there are just certain kinds of people we avoid, and there are certain kind of experiences that we try to walk on eggshells around, or... You know, you come to a church setting like this and you walk into this space and you immediately think everyone's judging me. They know my yep. sin. Uh, oh, they're better than me and all that stuff. And you just you don't know how to process through it. And so, listen, if that's you th- 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 and you're here today, um, I want you to know there's hope in Jesus. Yep. There's a way for you to, like Brit's going to share, step into this reality of your life where you're not just struggling with the guilt and shame all the time. Yep. And so we want to talk about that right now. Uh, in God's word. So, Britt, you're uh, yeah, taking us to Genesis Yeah, you could 3. open
0: up to Genesis 3. We're going to start in Genesis 3. It's going to be 1 through 13. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. And if you don't have Bibles, phone apps, that's totally fine. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden'?" And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when this woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Um, And so just a little recap here. You guys have probably loosely heard the story of Adam and Eve. But what's happened up into this point is that God um, handcrafts the first man and woman. And this is Adam and Eve. And... He creates this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. It's this paradise. It's this perfect, perfect place. And he says, you can eat anything. Live your best lives. You can eat anything. The one thing that I ask you to do is to not eat this fruit, this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and um, so that's where we pick up here. And the serpent comes to Eve, and he says, notice, he says, did God really say that? Did God really say that, you know, you can't eat of it? And Eve tells him, and he's like, oh, but if you eat of it, you know, the only reason God is telling you not to eat it is because he knows that you're going to be wise. You, you'll be just like God if you eat it. And so Eve falls for it. She has Adam eat it. Um, and then Jesus, God, is walking through the garden after they eat it because they realize that they're naked. They, they eat it, and, and something shifts immediately. And it's like this perfect place is has now disappeared and there is this um level of intimacy that they now realize this awkward intimacy that's going on because up until this point they didn't realize they were naked even though they were but now that she and he have eaten they are naked and they realize it and there's this immediate guilt and shame Um, And they hide to the point to where they hide from God, even though they probably know that God's going to find them and (laughs) knows where they are anyway. But they hide. And God's walking back and forth. And he says, hey, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Um, And, you know, they say, the serpent, we ate, so on and so forth. Yada, yada, yada. yada.
1: Well, let me point out this. So I want you guys to notice something for context here. There's these two people. They know what they're not supposed to do. They do it anyway. Then once they're aware of this, they start to kind of have these psychological kind of moments where they're more and more aware of who they are and some of these things. And they're dealing now with guilt and shame for the first time. And I think Britt's going to define those for us. Is that right?
0: Yep. So the way that psychologists define guilt and shame is that guilt is a focus on behavior. And shame is a focus on self or identity.
1: And these would be good to write down if you're a note-taking type.
0: Yep. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is a focus on self or identity. And so where we see this in Genesis is that guilt was I ate the apple. That was my behavior. That's what I did. Shame was I am naked. Oh, my gosh. I have to cover myself. I have to hide. I'm naked. I'm um, – and – In my own story, there were two things that were going on, guilt and shame, which I think we put together, but they're so very different. Guilt was the short-term effects of what I did. Um, These were things that I did that even after I became a Christian, I was partying, I was drinking, I was having sex, I was doing this, 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 and the short-term effects, and we've all felt this, is you do something, you know it's bad, and you say, Oh, well, you know, um oh, that's that I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad. That that's kind of how you know it's guilt. I feel bad that I did this. And that lasts for a short moment. But what lasts for the long moment is shame. Because shame tells you at least in my own life after I had sex, it was, "Oh, Britt is a dirty person. Britt is a prostitute. Britt is this. Britt is this." And it's there's it's almost like you are describing yourself not I am like this and I am this. I am not worthy. I am dirty. I am this. I am this. And that's kind of what I had to figure out in my own story was that I was experiencing extreme guilt and shame.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, just to piggyback off that, I felt that a lot. I think as I'm just watching some of you guys, your eyes are opening up, you're taking this in. You guys know this kind of cycle as well, right? You do something that you know is wrong Uh, and for many of us like me, you are like, this is wrong. Hold my beer. Here I go. Uh, and you (laughs) jump in and you think this time there won't be consequences and then you do it and then you feel the consequences later and you go, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. And you have that kind of "Mm," like moment. It's where you want to call the people in your life group and be like, we need to talk and this is serious. And they text you (laughs) back and they're like, how serious on a scale of zero to 10? And you go 14, uh, and you're just, just, even as you say 14, your vote, your vocal kind of voice situation goes up, down, you end on the down. You can always tell when someone's feeling guilty because they end on the down. No one ever says, I sinned last night. It was <laughs> great. And I feel really guilty about it. No one has the like B52s voice from Love unless Shack. They're uh, unless they're Italian. Unless uh, they're Italian. Too soon. Uh, so, but, but it's the, oh man, I just really messed up because your voice is lowering because you're, everything in your posture is doing this. This is guilt. Shame is um, not just I have sex. I, I, have, um, I have sinned sexually, behaviorally. Shame yes. is I am a sinful, sh- sexually broken person. Yes. That's my identity, and it will be that way forever, and no one will ever love me again. And shame tends to motivate you to kind of project this future where you're just like, Oh, it'll never get better. Yep. God can never use me. It's just over. I might as well stop going to church. All yep. hope is gone. I'm gonna lower expectations. It's just I think like also
0: that. shame happens when um and this is us talking about things we've done, but I think a lot of shame happens when things are done to you. Um and this is what we don't talk about enough is when when your fam you have family drama, your dad leaves you, your mom leaves you, like mine, both of mine did, it's Oh, the shame kicks in later, even though you haven't done anything and it's not your fault, you make it your fault. And you say, oh, well, I, I guess no one wants to stick around. I'm not worthy. No man's ever going to stick around for me. No no man's going to be there long term. Yeah. Yep. Um, with me, sexual assault. Oh, I'm a dirty person. I couldn't control that situation, and it happened to me. But you feel this long-term effects. And even if it's not in your conscious, it's in your subconscious. It's it's what you're thinking about when you're dating other people. It's what you're thinking about in marriage. It's what, it's, it's always there. Um, and I think a lot of times we talk about guilt and shame and the things we've done, but there's a lot of shame still there in the things that are done to us.
1: Yeah. And so Adam and Eve are struggling with this, and I want you guys to observe this. So let me go to school on you with some Hebrew here. The way that God responds is really amazing. And I don't know if you've ever observed this before, but notice what he does next. He basically does two things. The first one is this. He walks in the cool of the morning. Um, And you may just read this as an ancillary detail uh, where it's like, oh, okay, well, God was just, you know, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, it's, it's not like it was just a cold day in, in uh, Florida. It's forty eight degrees. There's the fog <laughs> over the lake, and God was just like, "I'll oh, go out for a stroll. This is nice." When when that <laughs> idiom's being used there, it's basically it's this unique phrasing. God was walking. Yep. God is walking presently, and God will continue to walk. In other words, when God shows up, He says, "I know you guys have guilt and shame, and you may suspect that I'm not going to keep walking with you. Yeah, but I'm going to keep walking with you." The first thing that God does is when we bring our guilt and shame to him is he tells us all, I love you. I'm going to keep walking with you. He doesn't love us conditionally. He loves us all the time with a lavish kind of love. And there's nothing we can do to ever violate that. That's the gospel. There's nothing that we can ever do to achieve that makes him love us more. God just decides to keep walking with us. And that's the first big idea I want you guys to understand is God responds. If you're someone with guilt and shame today... God is going to keep walking with you. Yep. No matter how much you have, he's going to keep walking with you.
0: I think for me also a huge takeaway reading this, this, you know, this past week when I was prepping for this, is seeing Adam and Eve feel this shame and hide. That was their first instinct. It wasn't to see God and run towards him. It was this instinct to hide. And we all do this, right? I do this. If I sin, um, my first instinct every single time is to not read my bible to not read scripture to not meditate to not pray um to not be in community um to not tell anyone that I'm going through it and I I become intro I'm an extremely extroverted person I'll become introverted I hide myself and it it was crazy to read this and compare it to my life um long term of all the times that I was at rock bottom and hid myself because I thought that God couldn't handle what was going on. When in reality, at the fall of man, He could handle it. And so, why did I think now? Why do I think now that He can't handle it when the fall of man happened and He could handle it then?
1: He's been handling it since chapter three.
0: That's right, since Genesis so, chapter three.
1: That's number one. Number two. So God responds in that way, and then there's a second thing He does. It's really unique. He asks two questions. Do y'all see what those are? If you read the text. Um, One of the questions uh, he says is, where are you? And the second question he asks is, who told you this? So where and who? Where are you? God's not asking that because he can't see. He's asking (laughs) that as an awareness question. He's saying, um, he's dealing with the issue of guilt and behavior. Where are you right now? You're hiding. Don't hide. You don't need to hide. And then who are you or who told you that? He's asking that question to deal and address the issue of shame in, his, in their identity. So God is initially, immediately aware of what they're doing, and he's asking diagnostic questions. This is the first step of counseling in all of the Bible. God comes to these people and go, hey, let's think about this. Where are you right now? Where are you kind of in your world? Uh, and who has been telling you these things about yourself? In other words, it's not me telling you this. It's right. the serpent, and you're listening to it. I'm not telling you these things. I'm telling you something very different about who you are. Yep. And I, if any of you guys have ever been to counseling, I've, I've gone to counseling in the past, those kind of diagnostic questions, the questions that cause you to pause, those are some, sometimes the most wonderful questions uh, you can think of because they hit you in your blind spots. And once you're aware of that, you're immediately better than you were before someone asked you. Yep. So it's amazing.
0: So I really want to, I, I guess when I was thinking through this and praying through this, my main thing that I wanted for you in, in my journey is to just walk away knowing three practical things for you to take away to do tonight. Um, three things that can help you immediately. Um, because I think for me, when I heard sermons or, or speaking or listen to podcasts on guilt and shame, it was this big picture thing. And there was never any... Anything right then, right there, that night that I could do.
1: Yeah. And just to be clear, what you're probably going to provide is some practicals on this. If it's true that God ministered to Adam and Eve and their guilt and shame in this way, he walked with them. Yeah. And he, in a sense, asked these truthful questions to them. Yes. And what you're going to provide is just some understanding of if God's walking with us, here's maybe how he might help us to deal with some of these truthful things. Right?
0: Yes. And I, I think the most important thing is um, figuring out truth. And so we're going to talk through practical ways to get truth in the midst of your guilt and shame. First one is you need to discover what the truth is. Discover truth. Um, And this is 100% personal, and this is something we're going to be practicing later, but when I went to counseling, the first thing was my counselor would ask me these questions of, what do you think is true? And I would be like, I don't know what I think is true. Um, because it was in my subconscious. It was these things that I, I wasn't saying out loud, but I was thinking. And so he would say, well, how do you feel about yourself? And I would be like, I don't really know how I feel about myself. Um, and so he would have me go home and journal. Okay? And we're going to show a, a um, journal entry on the screen. Uh, but this is, this is something, this is a journaling exercise that I was taught. And it was... What do I believe? This is just an example on the screen. What do you believe about yourself? And maybe it's no one loves me. Everyone's abandoned me. No one will date me. I don't have any friends. People say that they love me, but really they don't. And that's that's the shame that you're believing. Then you need to write down in your journal, who told you that? Who told me that? Which goes back to what God said in the garden. Who told you that? And it might be your dad told you that, or it might be a coach told you that, or a teacher, or whatever. An it, ex-boyfriend, a culture,
1: an ex-girlfriend, an ex-boyfriend, a culture around us,
0: yep. It might be whatever. And, but then the main part is you need to write down what does God say? What does God say? And this might be where you're repeating scripture. This, is, this might be where you're writing down scripture. For here, it's for God to love the world, John three sixteen. 16.
1: Britt, isn't this just positive thinking? Isn't this just positive thinking, or is this, there something else going on here?
0: This is not just positive thinking. Did you like so, that setup?
1: This was clearly scripted. Y'all notice my <laughs> scripted question. Okay, I don't know if I was smooth enough.
0: I think a lot of time, and this is a, a hot take that I have, but I—I uh, think a lot of times in the culture we live in, we think that these things can be covered up with positive thinking. So, girls, girls are going to laugh at this. Um, you're, you know, you're hanging out with your girls, and you hear a girl say. I'm, I feel fat, I feel ugly, um, and the first reaction always with a group of girls is, you're not ugly, you're not fat, you're not this, you're not that, just tell yourself that you're pretty. Girls, what does it do for yourself when you go look in the mirror and say, I am pretty, I am pretty, I am pretty? <laughs> does that ever make you feel pretty? <laughs> no. Um,
1: the same is true for guys. I mean, when guys are hanging out, just drinking beer, you're yeah, like, man, i, I got to stop drinking pretty. beer. I feel so fat. You're like, bro, no, man, just go into that, that bathroom in the bar there and just look in the mirror and tell yourself you're pretty. You know, it just you know, doesn't it help us out. Ways. Guys, is that right? I mean, y'all are bad this. Y'all both don't drink beer. Ways. Sodas, right? When you're drinking your sodas.
0: Um, it happens both ways. But I think that we see this way too often in this world of Instagram in this world of social media. It's positive things.
1: Girl, wash your face.
0: <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Um, it's it's just this this world of positive thinking and um, what does it, what 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 will make a difference in your life? I'm telling you is that if that friend in your community looks at you and says, "Listen." ugly fat that's to the side but what God tells you what scripture says what truth is is that you are fearfully wonderfully made and that there was an artist that handcrafted you those are
1: (laughs) there was some conviction before the clapping everyone okay yeah 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 (laughs) like
0: this they don't know how to take this but there's a difference there's a mind shift. You can look in the mirror all day and tell yourself you're pretty. But the reason that you're not feeling anything is because that's, that might not be truth in scripture. What's true in scripture is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's going to make a difference when you're repeating it to yourself in the mirror. Uh, but first you have to discover what the truth is about yourself. And that means that you have to discover what the lie is that you're telling yourself, that shame's telling you in your subconscious. And so that's why I would encourage journaling. Yeah.
1: And I think this is going to come on the screen here. We're pretty hot takey about this. The problem for most cultural Christians in America is not that you're too negative and therefore you need positive. You don't need positivity. You need truth. The problem is we're thinking false things about ourselves, and we need to think about true things about ourselves. Listen, you may be 130 pounds, and you wish you were 120 pounds, but being 130 pounds when all your friends are 120 pounds doesn't make you fat, right? okay? That makes you more weighty than them uh, in a scientific perspective, but that doesn't make you fat. That makes you 130 pounds, and guess what? In God's providence, he made you 130 pounds today. That's right. And he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make no junk. And so you may be 130 pounds, but you're 130 pounds to the glory of God right now, okay? And here's the deal. I'm getting hot takey. I'm getting my preacher voice on. Uh, We're both like this. I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, (laughs) Listen, listen. Listen. Uh, You may want to move into an exercise program because you just want to be healthier, and that's great. And you may move from 130 pounds to 120 pounds, okay? And that's great. But if you're 120 pounds and all your friends are now 110 pounds, you're still not fat. You are exactly as God has made you. If you are too tall, you are not too tall. You're as God made you. If you're too short, you're not too short. You're as God made you, okay? And listen, when it comes to dating advice, just understand, because we said this, when you get married, okay, if God permits that and you get married one day, you are the standard of beauty to your mate, however you are, okay? And so so I tell Natalie this all the time. Natalie, you know, if she were to proverbially ask me this, she would say, hey, uh, Doug, what's your type? And I'll tell her my type is Natalie.
0: That's right.
1: Right. And so she goes, well, what happens if I, you know, age, and my hair turns gray, and I get fatter? I'm like, I'm really into gray-haired, fat girls named Natalie. Then, right? <laughs> And she's like, well, what if I just get on this exercise kick, I do keto, and I lose a whole bunch of weight, and I've got gray hair, and I'm really skinny. I'm like, I'm into skinny girls with gray hair named Natalie Hinkins. This is what I'm into. And likewise, her standard of beauty or her standard of of, of handsome is me. And so as I'm developing the dad bod right now, because my kids don't sleep, and because I use (laughs) that as an excuse to eat pizza all the time with you guys, then guess what? Listen, chocolate chip cookies, be real. Listen. That's who I am to the glory of God. And so I know I'm not where I want to be, but where I am right now is to the glory of God. The issue is not that I'm being negative. The issue is I'm trying to be truthful about where I am. And so you've got to discover truth for yourself. or Not truth for yourself, but what absolute truth is in the context of your life. Bless you. Okay, I'm done.
0: That was good. Yeah. Doug, we got ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I'm
1: sorry. Yeah, I, I got a little ahead. Sorry about that.
0: Point two: speak truth to self.
1: <laughs> oh, we so did that's all what that. Was? We combined okay.
0: one and two together.
1: Yeah. So, um, so disc- you got to you got to meditate on truth, but once you understand that truth, you got to yeah. speak it to yourself. Britt, how did you learn? Because we got to get through this. How did you learn to speak truth to yourself, specifically in a counseling I situation? I think
0: after I think after journaling that that last part, um, if we could put that back up on the screen, the the journal entry. That last part, what does God say? Whatever that is. I mean, mean, we just talked about outward appearance. This could be I am not worthy. This could be I am unqualified. This could be I am not deserving. Whatever it is. Once you get to what does God say, I'm going to encourage you to do something extremely weird. (laughs) I'm going to encourage you guys and girls to go in a bathroom, to go in a closet, to go in your bedroom, to go wherever by yourself. And out loud. Out loud repeat that truth over to yourself. And this is not something that Brent has come up with. This is something that a counselor told me to do. And as weird, as weird as it is, it changed my life. Um, because when I'm in situations where people are telling me things about myself that are untrue, or I'm believing things about myself that are untrue, I will sit and in my head, the first reaction I have is to repeat that truth to myself. Because I've done it so many times out loud by myself. And so in that moment, I can, in my mind, if God or if Satan starts telling me, you know, you're not pretty or you're not worthy or you're unqualified to do ministry. I will repeat that truth in that scripture over and over again to myself. And that's what I would encourage you to do. And then point three, and um, practically, you have something to say.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I do the same thing. Um, for me, it's not like looks based or kind of that, but I get really scared. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid and nervous and scared and things happen and I get worried and, um, I have to tell myself Doug, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He created the earth. He doesn't need my help. Uh, he's doing a good job making the sun come up without me. God, you're in charge and you love me and you have a plan for my life. And so I can relax. And so I would have just I think whatever
0: well. the truth is that you need to hear, you need to to make it a habit. Yeah. Every single day of repeating that truth to yourself. Yep. Whatever the truth is that you need. Yep. Um, and then the third thing is have others speak truth to you. Um, this is big. This is the biggest one for me. I did not realize how deep and how um um, how bad the issues were that I was going through and how bad the guilt and shame was until I got into professional counseling. Um, and so two things, professional counseling and community. I think we had that. Speaking of professional counseling, I, I think um, I speak to a lot of you, and, and I'll say, you know, if we're having a one-on-one, I'll say, hey, you need counseling, and, and this isn't me um, trying to make you feel little. This isn't me trying to make you feel like you're crazy. It's just if you have ever in your life experienced any kind of guilt and shame, and if you're experiencing right now, you need professional counseling. There is nothing that, like, I'm not a professional counselor. Doug's not a professional counselor. Isaac's not a professional counselor. Alex's not a professional counselor. We cannot help you. We can pray with you. We can love on you. We can care for you. But coming from someone who's done it, who felt crazy going into it, Coming out on the other side, I was a completely different human being. And so if you have experienced, and I think a lot of times as well, we, we were talking about this earlier, we'll talk to young adults and we'll tell them to get professional counseling and they think they don't need it because they haven't been through trauma. So they haven't been through a dad leaving. They haven't been through a mom leaving. They haven't been through a sexual assault. They haven't been through these things that they would consider trauma, but they're still dealing with guilt and shame. And, and so the, the metric for you getting into professional counseling is not trauma. The metric for you getting into professional counseling is guilt and shame. And they're going to be able to walk with you through that better than we can. We can love you. We can pray for you. We can care for you. The local church can pray for you. But really, really what you need is professional counseling.
1: Yep. And so just so you guys know, we have a counseling center on site, which is super anonymous and super good. FirstOrlandoCounseling.com. You go to counseling.com. There's a green button. You click on it. You fill out your form. You send it off. They set up an appointment with you. And what, we, what we've tried to do with our counseling center is uh, create a, a sliding scale there so that really anybody can afford it. And from time to time, we'll tell you guys this. Listen, if counseling is something you think you may need, but you're really concerned you can't afford it, come talk to one of us. Yep. We will make a call and try to get you the kind of counseling that you need. Yep. We're on really good terms with all the folks over there. Um, and so if, if, if counseling is something you need, go, go to that website that you on, see on the screen, click the green button, fill out the form. And if money is an issue, come find me and I'll personally call and, and have a conversation. It's that easy. It's literally a cr- click on the button. Yep.
0: So. Um, the second way I would have others speak truth in you is through community Um, this is a huge one. I I went through professional counseling and that changed me as a human, but there was something, there was a shift that happened once I got out of that and I was into this group of people that were loving me and caring for me. But not only that, I think going back to Adam and Eve, they wanted to hide. They didn't want to be in community with God. They immediately, it was they were naked, they hid. And And this is what we tend to do. But the thing is, is that, When you have a group of people calling you out of hiding, and you go into this life group or missional community dinner or whatever it is that you're going into, and you say, hey, I feel a lot of shame because I did blank, or I feel unworthy, or I feel unqualified, you will be shocked at how many people are in that same exact life group that feel the exact same way as you. And that's because God created this community for you to be a part of, for them to speak truth into you and to say, hey, you're not ugly because you were handcrafted. You are not unworthy because God says you're worthy. You are, And they're speaking this consistent, constant truth into your life. And we, every single person in this room needs this because Satan wants you to be alone. That's all he wants. He wants you to be alone and he wants you to hide. But God wants you to be in community with other people that will speak truth into you.
1: So just to kind of wrap up here, I kind of thought I would tell this story here. Um, you know, my daughter's in second grade, and um, she's been, uh, girls can be mean. Can I say that? Oh, hallelujah. Okay. Okay. Do we have some amens? Okay. All right. Uh, girls can be mean in ways boys aren't mean. And my daughter's just kind of starting to get into that girls can be mean phase. In second grade, there's a lot of relational aggression that's going on. And, um, you know, one night, we, she just wasn't going to sleep, wasn't going to sleep, wasn't going to sleep. And normally, you know, she's pretty obedient. So we just were like, what's going on? She's coming down. She's whatever. So we went upstairs and we were like, okay, what's going on here? And she just kind of let us know that there's some kind of mean girl stuff going on. And um, we were like, well, what's going on? And some girls were teasing. And my daughter is a pretty confident person, <laughs> but I just watched her. She did the thing where her voice dropped and her head dropped. She was like, well, I just don't know how I feel. And it was the it was like one of the first times in my life I noticed my daughter was going through shame, and my first instinct was I know where all those girls live. Um, That's right. Me too. I was texting Britt. I was texting Britt, and she was just like, "Let's roll, Hamilton, Ohio, dog. Yeah. Uh, let me call Bobo games. and Lil Ray. Ray, we're going now. Let's That's go. Right. That's right. Um, and." Um, And then, you know, I'm looking at Natalie, who's always the calmer voice in our relationship, and she just starts moving into scripture. And she's like, well, Grace, what does God say about you? He loves me. What does God say about you? He crafted me in your womb. Yeah, do you remember mommy and daddy prayed for a daughter for years and years and years? So God, he has this wonderful plan for your life, and what they're saying to you, it isn't true. And she was like, really? And we're like, Really? It's like, so let's sing a song. We're like, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible, my voice is cracking here. For the Bible tells me so. And we're singing, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. They always shoot off fireworks at the end when we sing that song because Disney's in our backyard. Anyway. (laughs)
0: You can hear the actual fireworks going up.
1: And we just, we just sang that song over because that's our routine every night. We just said, okay, so what's true here? And she's like, Jesus loves me. I'm going to be okay. He's like, yeah. And tomorrow if those girls say things, this is what I want you to say. No. <laughs> that is not true. And I that's will right. not let you bully me because I love you too much to let you be a punk. And um, you can say no. You can tell them, don't that's do right. this. And she was like, okay, really? I can do that? We're like, yeah, you can say no. And she was like, okay. And then she went to sleep. And I just think about that moment when I read through this passage now. Because when you have kids, you just kind of experience this. This is God looking at the kids he created. And they have their first moment where they get bullied by Satan. And they eat the tree. And then shame and guilt comes in. Yeah. And God doesn't go, well, i got to start over again. Flood the earth. Here we go. Run it back. Shut it down. Shut it down. No. No. <laughs> he walks in in the tenderness of the morning and says, I'm going to keep walking with you yeah. and remember truth. Who do I say you are? Who, who am I? And what, what do I say about you? And where are you? And understand that we don't, we don't need to keep walking in falsity. We can walk in truth. And he reviews that with them. And then the next thing, if you keep reading, he creates a little outfit for them to cover up their shame so that they feel secure. And then um, he deals with the consequences And then says, that's okay, I'm going to take care of you guys. And he still brings them children and gives Adam and Eve this life. Because that's what God does. He lavishly loves us. And so, again, if you're walking with guilt and shame here today, I just want to encourage you. um, God's still going to walk with you. And he's going to provide truth as the antidote to this issue uh, that you're going through. And with counseling and with community uh, and with learning to speak and affirm truth over yourself, I really think in this calendar year... God can move the needle on on making you a healthier version of you yes. uh, in 2020. Britt, anything else?
0: We're going to end with a response kind of different than what we normally do. It's definitely a heavier response time than what we normally do. And so um, I just want you guys, if you have a notebook, if you have a piece of paper that you grab from the back or your phone, I want you to go ahead and pull that out.
1: It's okay to open your phone in church. It's okay. God's <laughs> going to be not okay. not sinning.
0: It's okay. Um, And what we're going to do is I showed you guys that journal entry from before, um, but now you're going to fill that out for yourself. And this isn't going to be like a 30-second thing. We're going to give you guys a good three to five minutes, if not longer, if it takes longer. But I want you to not just, just sit, not just the first thing you think of, write it. That's not what I want. I want you to sit and think about what is the main thing, that is shame talking that you believe about yourself. And that might take a few minutes for you to realize really truly deep down what that is. Um, It might be pretty immediate and you just pray over it, but I want you to fill this out. I want you to fill out what you believe about yourself, what shame's telling you. I want you to fill out who told you that. And for many of us, it's no one. No one told us that, we just believed it ourselves. And then I want you to, you can get on Google, you can get on your Bible, you can, whatever. And look up verses of, of what God says about you regarding that lie. You know, if you're filling out, what do I believe I am unworthy, go to Google and look up verses on being worthy.
1: Yeah, a great way is there's a thing called Open Bible. You can go there and you can search topically, what's the Bible say about this topic? Yes. And it'll give you 100 verses on that.
0: And write them. And if if you want to write five verses, then write five verses. But the main thing here is that I want you to start to realize where the shame is coming from and what you might be telling yourself consciously or subconsciously and, and what God says about that and realizing that maybe no one ever told you that. It was just yourself.
1: Yeah. And so we're going to have this time. I've asked Lucas to stand on stage and play for a minimum of three minutes, three whole minutes. So some of you who don't like live, you know, living in silence for more than 30 seconds, it might get a little awkward, but listen... What we're trying to do is to provide a safe covering of time yes. for you to really process this in this moment. Don't miss it. God still wants to walk with you, and even now in your journaling, he wants to speak truth into your life. And so give him the space, give him the time, and let's see what God might reveal in the next three or minute, three minutes or so. And then when we're done, uh, Lucas is going to lead us in one more song, Who you Say I Am. Awesome. Let me pray for us, then we're going to get off stage let you guys process through this. Jesus.